morning, crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Mario, also known as the Node Defender, is joining us. And today we got somebody we're very familiar with in our community. Tony Edward, a.k.a. Thinking Crypto, is in the building, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how Ripple and Coinbase became closer than ever during the Dubai Crypto Conference this week, claiming the United States is years behind regulation in other thriving economies. John Deaton interviewed the Coinbase chief legal officer, asking the important questions in regards to XRP, while Sam Bankman-Fried pleaded not guilty to all accounts in federal court, claiming the crypto bear market is what caused the collapse of FTX. XLM is leading the way for CBDC development, possibly getting a free pass in the USA. And with billion-dollar institutions flooding into this market, we break down the details, showing our community how the banking sector is creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, as you can see, my voice is slowly recovering this week. I'm feeling a lot better. How are you feeling, my friend? And thank you for being here. Abs, I'm feeling great. <clears throat> I guess my voice is going now. Whenever I hear the word live, I get excited. I am so super happy. Uh, every day to be here. It's so great to, to be with you guys, to chat every day about our favorite topic. Today's a very special day. Not only do we have our man, Tony, in the house, we also are going to show you guys a live preview of Merlin. So I'm super excited as we get closer to uh, launch. But no, it's great to be alive. And let me just say this. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. Love you guys. Appreciate it, guys. Can't wait to hop into it. Like Johnny Crypto said, Mario, it's a great day to be alive, not only because it's a Merlin day, but because we got Tony in the building. But first of all, how you feeling, my friend? And thank you for being here. It's been great. It's been great to see the gala shirt this morning, Johnny. We talked a little bit about it. So Mario, nice gala shirt as well. Thank you, man. Uh, good morning, everybody. I should have been wearing the Merlin shirt. I fucked, I messed up on that one. Excuse my language. But good morning, everybody. Hope you're all doing great. Uh, good morning, Tony. Happy to see you back on the show. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, Avs. Good morning, everybody in the chat. And I uh, can't wait to see that Merlin Markets page. Absolutely, guys. And as you can tell, Tony, I'm not going to force you to talk about Merlin as well, but I'm very excited to have you in the building today. The big news out of this week is XRP Las Vegas. But immediately after, we had Brad Garlinghouse in Dubai with some of the key officials at Coinbase. So we're going to talk about that today as well. How are you feeling? And thank you for making time for us this morning. Gentlemen, it is always, always great to be here with you all. I'm excited to talk about XRP, Coinbase, and the rest of the crypto market. And with that being said, we're going to get this show started the same way we always do by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. We're at 4,132 followers. Smash that follow button. We love talking to you. The Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is sitting in moderate fear this morning and a neutral 52, actually, Johnny. And when we check out the daily movers, it's a green day across the board. We've got Kava up 12%, Render 6%, but across the board, we're up about 5% for the total market. When we check out the total coin market cap this morning, we're going to go to something we've never seen before, Johnny Crypto. I'm going to read these brief introductions, and then I'm going to give you a chance to talk about Merlin. We are sitting at $1.15 trillion in this beautiful market page right here. Bitcoin is 47% dominance. Ethereum is about 20%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 28,100. Ethereum, 1,800. And XRP is just above 42 cents this morning. And Johnny, no one's really caring about the prices when they're looking at this beautiful page. So just really quick, fill us in and then we'll dive into the show today. 
Well, Abs, it is a historic day. Um, we are we've launched now the Merlin uh, page, so the beta page. So this is now our working Merlin, uh, what we call beta version. Like so, whenever you're developing code, you want to launch, you developing, you launch it in pieces and test it. So you know Merlin's not live yet. I don't want anybody to get excited. Like, hey, it's out there, but it is live for us to use here. We will be using it and showing pieces as we get the parts components working. There's still bugs and things like that we need to work out. But as you can see, we've got the live working page now for the marketing. Uh, you can actually see, you know, what the markets are doing. You can see the market caps and, and this will be in everybody's app. You'll be able to scroll through and be able to sort in any of the columns to see what the markets are doing. You'll be able to dive in deeper like you're doing here and see the chart. You can actually scroll across the chart apps uh, and you'll be able to see. Yeah, just like that and see the price points where on any day you want across the different time scales. So Johnny, I and do know that we're in beta testing, but I got to give the people a sneak peek of the assets page because regardless uh -oh. of what the circle is showing up here, check out what I love so much. I don't know if I'm allowed to show the exit strategy. So give me a verbal yes or no before I can. Not yet on that, but you're welcome okay. to show this. Page, so okay, guys. So I'm not allowed to show you the exit strategy, but believe me, if I could, you would be super excited. And that's my favorite feature about this whole thing. Getting an inside look into what many of the people that we're following every day are actually doing behind the scenes. And obviously, Tony is going to be a big part of that. So, Johnny, just to close this out here, any final remarks in regards to Merlin? Yeah, no, we're excited, Ab. So we're, we're just bringing pieces along as we bring it up to uh, to get the code actually operational. Once we get that done, we'll launch it out into the, you know, to give certain folks access to it in the beta test. So some some uh, people, if you're on the wait list, you will have a chance to try it first when we do go to the external beta. Right now we call this internal testing. So it's really us inside the company that's using it, but obviously it's good enough that we can demonstrate it here on, on Good Morning Crypto as we share it with uh, all the, the members who are looking forward to it. And then eventually we'll start announcing our partnerships as well. So we're excited about that. Thank you guys. Get on the wait list below and uh, soon it'll be in your hands too. Amazing guys. And to say I'm excited about this is an understatement. Remember what the purpose of Merlin is taking all of your tokens from all these different exchanges and making the process really simple. One location is where you're going to be able to execute from. But guys, we got 180 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Tony, before I kick it back to you, we're going to start off with a video I showed you just before we got on air, because I think this is so important. So with that being said, we're going to get this thing started with a little Ripple versus SEC lawsuit news. Here we go. If the Ripple case gets to the Supreme Court of the United States, I believe it is highly likely that Ripple wins and the SEC loses. It's okay. dicey to predict what one particular federal judge will or will not do with right. massive contrasting motions for summary judgment. But as Ripple, you know, and, and I'm, I hate to say it, this is going to take more time as Ripple goes to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals and then to the United States Supreme Court, I, I like their chances a lot. What would you say is the number one thing they bring in terms of their defense to the Supreme Court that you feel, hey, this is a good uh, probability they could win this? It's the big question. It's the ultimate question. That is the SEC lacks authority uh, from Congress to regulate in this space. It is the major questions doctrine. There are six votes at the Supreme Court right now for this major questions doctrine, which says if you are going to claim the authority to regulate a massive industry and a new asset class, you have got to get that authority from Congress. And it's exactly what Gary Gensler said in May of 2021. He was right then, he's wrong now. 
Uh, but there are six votes uh, for that. I think this is a perfect case of a major question that can only be settled by Congress. Several things come to mind when I watch that video, Tony, but the biggest one to me is Gary Gensler's words are once again being used against him. Just last week, Brad Garlinghouse was referring to the clip circulating on Twitter where Gary Gensler said already in 2018, 75% of the market was considered to be a commodity. Here we have him again using his words against him. So what stuck out to you most about that clip? And what are you watching in regards to the XRP lawsuit right now? Yeah, you know, it's funny. There's also the Algorand clip that's circulating that people are like, hey, I bought Algorand because Gary Gensler said Uber is going to be built on it. I, I, I can't wait for Congress to maybe play that clip in front of Gary in the next hearing. I hope they do. I'm going to try to get Congressman Warren Davidson and these guys to do that. Um, but, you know, what uh, the lawyer was saying, um, he's spot on. And I think uh, Coin, excuse me, Ripple's chief legal officer, um, Stuart Alarati, he did tweet, tweet out some information that five out of six cases that went to the Supreme Court, which involved the SEC, the SEC lost five. So uh, and then Judge Sarah Netburn, you know, in her comments not too long ago, said the SEC lacks allegiance, a faithful allegiance to the law. So they're making up things as they go. And he's absolutely spot on saying Congress has to act because Gary Genser is on the loose. He's off his leash. He's off his rocker. And we're dealing with a maniac here just doing making up stuff and they're trying to find any angle that they can to throw tokens into the securities bucket without actually litigating those tokens. So uh, the entire industry needs to be behind Ripple. You're spot on, Tony. And luckily, we're seeing that come to fruition right now as we speak as Ripple and Coinbush, both in the UAE. And we're going to show some very telling video, but you brought this up yourself. This is Gary Gensler actually in some ways promoting the growth of Algorand, stating Uber could be built on the network. Governance is tough. You could create Uber or Lyft on top of a blockchain technology today. Uh, well, maybe in five years you could. It would be, have the performance. Uh, Sylvia McCallie's Algorand, uh, who's a uh, Turing Award winner at, at MIT that I work with. Um, Sylvia's got a great technology that has performance. You could create Uber on top of it. The question is then who would update this up? Governance is top. You have it right there, Johnny Crypto. So I'm going to kick it back to you before I show our next video. Brad Garlinghouse laughed when he was asked about uh, the United States regulation today in Dubai. So I want to hear what that means to you before we show our next clip. Well, not only did he laugh, but Jeremy Hogan explained that XRP Vegas this weekend, that when you go into the SEC and you go to fill out the form to, to create, uh, you know, to, to file with the SEC for your um, cryptocurrency, it asks you how many shares of stock you want to issue. <laughs> what does that tell you right there? Yeah, yeah, Gary's like, yeah, come on in. It's all right. We're all ready to work with you. The freaking farm isn't even right. Then you ask the right question. How the hell are you going to say that uh, we're ready to go? The, the, yeah, we're all set. And then this is just walk on in. We don't even have the right forms. You can't even, you can't even create a, uh, you know, so there you go, Abs. I mean, that, that, that's, uh, that's it. You just dropped the mic at that point. I mean, that's just the, uh, that's how sad it is that, such a simple thing like that, like, let's get the damn documentation right. And that's not even right. And then you're going to tell the whole world <laughs> that, you know, we're all set and we welcome cryptocurrency companies and we want them to work. We're ready to work with them. No, you're not ready because you don't even have the right documentation in place. So, I mean, that that just says it in a nutshell. And that's why we talked about this. We really need Congress to come in and set some laws, set some regulation of what it means and then the enforcers will have to do, you know, what Congress, you know, what Congress creates as law, because that's how our government works. 
Mario, one of the biggest stories this morning is how Chief Legal Officer at Coinbase responded to John Deaton's questions about Algorand and explained why they pulled uh, XRP off of Coinbase, but are willing to keep Algorand on the exchange for the time being. But before we get into that, guys, we got 230 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Mario, we've brought it up 100 times before. If Gary Gensler pushes this technology outside of the United States, it's not going away forever. It's going to land somewhere. And it appears that Dubai is going to be the main location for crypto technology to evolve over the next coming years. So really briefly, what are you anticipating? If Ripple and the SEC do have some sort of a resolution, does that mean we're going to see adoption in the U.S. or could we still see them go overseas? Well, we'll certainly see clarity. I mean, with clarity, there will obviously come adoption. I believe that there's a lot of players in the sidelines that are waiting for for something to come out of this lawsuit that's going to give them confidence in working with Ripple, you know, inside of the United States. Because, um, yeah, I mean, nothing is really stopping um, Ripple from, I mean, if they were, I, I think that if they were going to do it, they would have done it by now. Obviously, something negative coming out of the this this lawsuit, like, you know, S, uh, XRP is a security or, you know, they continue to push them back and, and preventing them from from continuing to innovate in the space, then yes, they will definitely, I definitely see them moving outside of the United States. I mean, we've been seeing Brad Garlinghouse as he was over in Dubai. I mean, he's, he's, he's been making it very, uh, he's been voicing his opinions about how, um, you know, Dubai is way more friendly when it comes to, to digital assets. So um, let's see what happens. I mean, nonetheless, I think that what we're seeing now in, in the space, as far as the United States is concerned, there's a lot of attention in 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 this in the in the digital assets or the regulation part of digital assets. So I'm hoping that this attention and this talk does eventually come come out with some regulatory uh, frameworks, which is what we're missing right now. And as Johnny said, you know, everybody points the finger at Gary Densler, but we really need Congress to come out and say, "Hey, guys, look, this is how you guys need to do it. This is how crypto is going to be viewed going forward, just like what Europe did last week or two weeks ago." This is how digital assets are going to be regulated. This is how companies around blockchain can be formed. And this is how we can move the industry forward and continue to, um, uh, and the U.S. can continue to be a pro-technology country. Absolutely, Mario. And Tony, I want to get your thoughts on this latest article as well. Somebody tweeted out this guy named Jason, who Brad Garlinghouse is clearly familiar with, which you're going to see after the response he gave. He tweeted out, XRP is obviously a security. It would have cost just a little bit for Ripple's team to have registered as a security and played by the rules, just like everyone else in the industry has done all along. Well, Brad Garlinghouse was pissed off, to say the least, about this comment and responded on his Twitter account saying this. Remind me when you learn securities law. This is embarrassing for you and hilariously wrong, as there's no framework to register digital assets in the United States. But we're all used to you making controversial statements and trolling about things you know nothing about. So, Tony, what do you think about these Brad quotes here? Obviously, we know what we think about XRP being a security. But do you believe Brad Garlinghouse is being outspoken right now because we're almost at the end of this lawsuit? Yeah. And I I think Brad is, it seems like his comments um, recently have been more confident, like just even at XRP Las Vegas, like saying, Hey, we're going to win this thing and so forth. But let me give you some context to Jason. He that's Jason Calacanis. By the way, I respect the hell out of this guy. He was great in web 1.0 and 2.0. He built massive uh, dot-com sites, Mahalo and so forth. So he's been successful as an entrepreneur, but I feel mentally he's still stuck in web 1.0 and 2.0. He has not educated himself about three. And you're seeing that from his comments. It's like, dude, you're making these statements, but what about the facts? You have to look at what's happening in the industry. It's not just about XRP. XRP 
is is a, a, just a symptom of the bigger problem that we're seeing that we're facing. We don't have clarity, and the SEC's on the loose. So really ignorant comments from Jason, and I'm surprised he's doing that. And some folks may recognize him. He's the host of the All In podcast with Chamat Palapatia, David Sachs, and so forth. Very popular. All those guys wow. are successful entrepreneurs. So really dumb comments on his part. But uh, really, I, I love the the fight from Brad. Uh, really, really good stuff. Abs, I'll tell you, when I read that, I started laughing my ass. Brad torched this guy. I don't know who he is at all. You know, Tony, thanks for the context of who he is. Abs, bring that, bring that, bring that tweet back up again because there's something there I want to point out. Look at what he says at the now. So I don't know the guy, but look what he says at the end. Like everyone else in the industry does. Tony, what other company? What other crypto company, Abs, you come back to us. What other crypto company has filed as a security with the SEC? Can you name one? <laughs> exactly. I yeah. mean, it's a complete moronic statement. It makes no yep. sense. I don't know the guy. I got no judgment on him. I'm not judging him. I'm just judging the words. And to come out and say that they should file as a security like the rest of the industry does when not a single person, Ethereum hasn't done it, Bitcoin hasn't done it, Algo hasn't done it. Who does? Nobody's done it. What are you talking about? The whole industry. Well, the one that was able to get their foot in the door had to go uh, under the table deal, right? Bill Hinman and, and Ethereum Alliance. Ah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's still not. I don't even think they're filing as secure. There's not a single crypt. I mean, there's a couple exchanges, I think, INX, and I think a couple that, that filed. But none of the actual companies themselves have. So that's not even true. I, that statement is just ridiculous when he came out and said. And I just love how Brad, I love what Brad is like. What security school did you go to school? What's yeah. your background in? Yeah, exactly. I think Jason should stick to podcasts or whatever else he does. Maybe talking about maybe Jason should stick to web 1.0 or 2.0 and not not really do too much for web 3.0 because he it just makes zero sense. Abs. Absolutely. And Tony, you know what that actually reminds me of is back when Kraken was sued by the SEC, somebody responded because Gary Gensler put out a video one day later saying if they had just filled out a simple form, they could have saved themselves $30 million. The simple form that asks you how many shares of stock you want to issue that form. Are you talking exactly. about that form, Abs? Exactly. That is the form I'm talking about. And it's the form that Jeremy Hogan mentioned when we were out there in XRP Las Vegas. One of the key points that was made in regards to the XRP lawsuit, Tony, was John Deaton said the reason that the SEC cannot win is because they cannot prove the fourth prong of the Howey test, which states not only is previous sales of XRP registered as security, current and future sales is what the SEC is arguing could be registered as a security going forward. And I think it's one of the reasons that Brad Garlinghouse laughed out loud when he was asked about government regulation in the United States. But before we get into that, we're about to show you another update from Naveen, uh, I'm not sure if I can pronounce this guy's name, who's comparing the U.S. regulatory environment to the UAE, claiming it's night and day in regards to adoption. How would you characterize the crypto regulatory environment in the, in the Middle East if you had to compare it to what we're seeing in the U.S. right now? I think it's just light. I mean, it's day and night, right? Um, so what I can see, because I experience mainly uh, the UAE, I think the regulators are very open. Uh, you can come up with an idea, have a dialogue with the regulator, agree on the way forward, and, and you're able to move forward with very quick speed. Also, you're able to very quickly mobilize in terms of team, you're able to scale up and then constantly go back to the regulator if the model changes in some way. So this is this healthy two-way dialogue that's creating the the fertile ground for companies uh, to grow in the Web3 space. And not only are we seeing adoption in the UAE, Tony, we covered an article yesterday talking about how 13 African nations today 
are already utilizing ODL with Ripple. And of course, 60% of on-demand liquidity is run through the XRPL. So while this technology is being pushed out of the United States, it's being welcomed with friendly arms overseas. And it's something we're only going to see more of going forward if we don't get updated regulation. So as we're seeing government adoption today, PayPal is releasing that they had nearly a billion dollars worth of crypto assets in their balance sheet. The reason I think this is important is because this is a glimpse into what Americans are investing in on the side. Americans are starting to get involved in this market, whether the average person is getting with Bitcoin, Ethereum, or getting into the altcoins, it seems like the conversation is expanding in the mainstream media, and this is a clear example of that. So how did you feel about the previous clip we played where he's describing how governments around the world are accepting crypto while the United States is making it more difficult than ever? The U.S.'s loss is the world's gain, um, and these other countries and jurisdictions are opening their doors. It's not just Dubai and UAE. Look at what Hong Kong's doing. There's, there, I think the, the Chinese central bank greenlighted the, uh, or asked the Hong Kong banks to start providing banking services to crypto companies, Singapore, Japan, you name it. So we're really uh, losing on a lot of business. And this tech, it's a global asset class. And I, th I don't think people realize that sometimes they still think in the mindset of stocks, right? Well, I can't trade this on the Hong Kong stock exchange or a U.S. stock exchange. No, anybody across the globe who has internet access and has a smartphone, can go put 10 bucks into XRP, into Bitcoin or Ethereum. There's never been anything like that in the world. So uh, the United States needs to get its act together because banking services, uh, you know, here with Operation Chokepoint and then banking services opening up overseas, companies are just going to go where they get the green light and the capital. So it's kind of ridiculous what's happening right now. And, and the fact that Elizabeth Warren and Gary Gensler and these clowns are running the show, uh, hopefully Congress can act soon. You can add Brad Sherman to that list as well, Johnny. When we talk about people who are anti-crypto, we got to look at who's funding their campaigns. And Brad Sherman has gotten a lot of money from BlackRock in recent years. So BlackRock is obviously endorsing crypto through their partnership with Coinbase and USDC. But the political officials that they're promoting are saying Bitcoin, Ethereum, decentralized currencies are bad. So what's really going on here, Johnny? Yeah, it's a case of WWE. You're getting two different narratives. They're pushing. By the way, here's a list of senators you should support down here below who are pro-crypto. And that's really what you're seeing. You're seeing this battle of these, you know, of these two different uh, factions within Congress. One very, very pro-crypto and one very, very anti-crypto. They even name themselves anti-crypto, uh, trying to punish it and saying it's bad. And the reality is what's really happening is what Tony said before, is basically this this um, division that we're having here in crypto debate here in Congress is just pushing everything overseas. You know, everything's going overseas. You're seeing it and you're, you're getting adoption and, and they're smart. The other countries are saying, Hey, the number one innovator in the world doesn't want to do this. No problem. We'll do it. We'll open our doors. We'll let you in. And so Dubai and Hong Kong and all these other places around the world are going to be the crypto capitals of the world and not the U S and all the innovation and all the jobs. Are, you know, are going to get lost. They, they, there's so many job opportunities that could have happened here in the U.S. that are not going to happen and will never happen now because of it. Now, will the U.S. end up creeping up from behind and following and playing? Yes, at some point they're going to. But the point is we're not going to lead that anymore. And that's the one thing left, Abs. In the 90s, I remember in the 95s, you won't know this because you were, oh, you weren't even born. Um, or maybe you were in diapers. But basically, um, I remember when they opened up the World Trade Organization, and I remember the guys who used to work next to me were gone. Like, where'd they go? Well, we don't need them no more because now we're working with China, and everything shifted to China, and manufacturing was going to move. And they said, well, don't worry. 
The U.S. isn't going to be a manufacturer, but we're still going to lead innovation. We're still going to have the main designers here. We're going to do all the design and everything will happen overseas. It's like, okay, so we're going to shift from a manufacturing company to an innovation and development. And now we're losing that element. And that is a really, really scary place, Abs, for America because that's the last thing we have left. If we stop innovating, what the hell are we going to be? We're just going to be a, a, a tour. We're a tourist country. You know, you don't, you don't want to lose innovation. That's a very, very scary thing. And, and that's what worries me because that's what's happening in this particular space or industry. In the Mario, and we like to think the crypto conversation has evolved over the years. But when you hear quotes like this from Brad Sherman, it's very eye-opening into what many political officials view this market as today. He said, Peru is way ahead of us in cocaine production. China is ahead of us in organ harvesting. We don't need to keep up on those things. And we don't need to keep up on crypto. Can you believe he's putting us in the same conversation there? There's only two political officials who typically do that. That would be Brad Sherman and Elizabeth Warren. What do you think about these quotes here? Yeah, it's it's terrible. I mean, the comparison, one thing, it has nothing to do with the other. Like You're, you're basically saying that the crypto asset class is criminal, right? It, it's... It's ridiculous. And these are the people that continue to lead the country and right and or be a voice for the country. And that's a, that's a problem. And, you know, as as the conversation was was being, um, you know, we were just having you guys are just having a conversation about nothing is stopping these these companies from setting up shop in, in a different country, especially nowadays with the Internet. You know, customers can be reached like this with the click of a finger. You call them anywhere you are in the world. You can. Yeah, I, it's it's nothing is stopping innovation outside of the United States. And as as uh, Johnny said, it's a scary place to be that on top of all of that. Right. On top of us being in this in this uh, era where everything is so digital and so readily available, the U.S. is also turning its back on something that's as revolutionary as the blockchain. Right. Because the blockchain, it's the evolution of the Internet. It's bringing in all that value that exists in across multiple different asset classes. It's bringing it to to the digital space so that we can trade it, so that it can be as quick as everything else is nowadays. And it, it is a scary place to be for sure. Tony, and a good reason for that could be the SEC's correlation or connections to big, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Big hedge funds and financial institutions around America. The SEC has fought for over a year and a half to hide the Hinman emails that the SEC government had openly communicated with many of these hedge funds. Well, some of the most important Ethereum Alliance members are on this list, and we know for a fact they have communicated with the SEC. That would be Joseph Lubin is the main key name I'd like to focus on there. And we've talked about it a lot, so I just want to get your thoughts on this. One of the reasons we believe that Gary Gensler is regulating the market in the way he is, Operation Chokepoint 2.0 and so on, is because he's giving himself a free pass. He's separating himself from the corruption that happened with Ethereum while giving Bitcoin and Ethereum the pass to see adoption. We think he's going to go after staking in particular. When they when they changed Ethereum to proof of stake, that's what we believe the SEC is going to go after. So what are some of your thoughts on that particular topic? Yeah, the SEC does not want these Hinman documents to see the light of day. They have a lot to lose there. And it's it, there's many levels to this, not only crypto, but just further showing the corruption within the SEC and they can lose funding and he can get fired and lose credibility as well. So there's a lot they, they want to cover up there and it just exposes, um, you know, the, the bigger distrust people have for the government. Um, so the SEC, they're going to fight tooth and nail to, to cover this up. They don't want it out there. And, uh, you know, the staking aspect to, uh, of, of uh, what Gary's trying to target, you know, that's a clear, 
clear indication of fighting on behalf of the incumbents because staking just being part of the network what what does that affect the sec or anybody right but that is people taking their money out of traditional investments and banking sectors and putting it into crypto and earning a higher yield and reward and you're just seeing these things play out and it's like yeah okay it's clear uh there gary genser is doing the bidding of the jp morgans and the banking cartel because they're getting disrupted people have an, another option they don't have to settle for the bs interest rates that you were getting from the banks and the banking sector itself is is of course feeling the pinch with these collapses you're spot on tony and one of the things that we've been addressing at least since xrp las vegas is that the SEC is putting Judge Torres in a very interesting position. She has until September 30th to make a ruling on this case. And if not, it goes up into Congress, and that's something that she would like to avoid. But guys, we got 293 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and check out this latest update from Eleanor Tourette, somebody who you may be seeing on Good Morning Crypto by the end of this month. That's a little hint for our listeners there. But the chief legal officer at Coinbase addressed the importance of the outcome when it comes to the Ripple versus SEC case. We're paying as much attention or more to the goings in the Judge Torres court as anyone on earth. That's because we're very eager to see clarity finally brought to the marketplace and the confusion that has been sown by the SEC's government's very expansive view and secondary sales. We want to see that conclusion addressed once and for all. So, Tony, what I really think he's getting at here is they can't prove the secondary sales narrative that we brought up earlier. So how do you feel about Coinbase all of a sudden becoming bullish after the conference in Dubai? Oh, they have no choice. And we saw uh, Paul Grewal was meeting with Stuart Alderati of Ripple. I'm sure they're sharing notes and talking about strategy and tactics. Um, Coinbase should have backed Ripple maybe a month after, uh, especially, you know, they've engaged with the SEC about listing XRP back in 2019, I believe it was. And I get it. Look, everybody has a business. Everybody wants to make a profit and get things going, but they should have seen what was going to happen. And now their backs are against the wall. They got hit with a Wells notice and with the Wahi case and so forth. So Coinbase, they're they're now i think scrambling so now they're oh i gotta go talk to ripple i gotta go talk to grayscale and so forth and i i've been tweeting for maybe about a year at brian armstrong i don't know if you guys have seen it form the crypto coalition and sue the hell out of the sec we have to go on the offensive gary's not quitting elizabeth warren is not quitting and they're working together elizabeth warren is sending him the questions and answers right <laughs> before hearings so they the industry has to come together. And I think if they come together and, and you have a, a good amount of companies, Circle, BitGo, Ripple, Grayscale, Coinbase, all suing the SEC, that's going to put the staff of the SEC in a, in a mix, right? Their heads are going to be spinning because now they have to answer all of these things versus mm -hmm. them going out and targeting uh, companies. So we got to come together and, and we got to sue. And I hope more companies join the fight. You know, I couldn't agree with you more, Tony. I've been saying that for a while now that actually... I think this is a huge tactical error by the SEC because you know what they just did? You know the old adage, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They literally just brought Ripple and Coinbase together, and soon they're going to sue Binance. That's going to bring that. You're going to have Binance, Ripple. <laughs> Those are three big, powerful, cash-rich companies that now, you know, almost by force are going to come together to do exactly what I hope you said. And we've been saying it all along is, these guys got to recognize they have to come together and put their push, put their thumb on the scale because right now the scale is being pressed the other way. We know that the anti-scale has got a lot more momentum going on it because of the SEC and Gary and, and Congress. So 
you know, I almost feel this could have been a tactical mistake by them. And hopefully in the end, it's going to be good for crypto if you start to see a coalition coming together. So let's all, everybody should be pushing for that. Tony, I'm glad you're fighting for and pushing for it. And we, and we all should be talking and asking these guys, hey, guys, come together if they want. They're going to need it to survive. And Ripple's willing to put $200 million into this fight. Anybody that doesn't realize that they're not doing this just for themselves, I mean, this is going to set rules for, for the entire industry. Whatever comes out of this ruling is going to be an example for the entire industry. So, you know, United, they need to get united and they need to they, they need to fight this alongside with, with the SEC, uh, with, with Ripple against the sec and as tony said they should have joined the fight sooner but you know they're not too late and more companies need to get together so that yeah it, it, it it's so obvious i it's it almost feels weird that not more companies are getting involved because this is about the entire industry not just ripple yeah but i think the problem is they don't want to join a fight against the sec nobody wants to right. pick a fight against the sec right until you have to and so that's why I'm saying it's a strategic error. If the SEC is going to keep going after them, sooner or later, you would hope they're going to realize, like, hey, we're going to be next, right? And I remember when this case first happened, you did see a bunch of people come together and have a coalition and kind of support Ripple to some degree. I remember they were saying maybe in amicus briefings, you saw a bunch of them because they were worried that the SEC was going to come after them. But the amicus briefings are not enough. We needed they need to take it to the next level, like Tony said. Needs to be a coalition. You know, someone mentioned the blockchain association. I don't know if that's good enough. Maybe that's where it can start. You would think if that's where it is, then they should be, they should really be lobbying these guys right here. See all these congressmen <laughs> and really working to put a coalition together to fight this good battle. Or, you know, it's gonna be one of those things where if there's not enough, you know, if you don't balance the scales, we know which way this thing's gonna go in the long run. Johnny, they say the enemy of my enemy is my friend, but you can also judge the value of, of an idea based on how big your enemies are. And Ripple has some of the biggest enemies in the space when it comes to regulatory mm. environments. Why is that? JP Morgan, Bank of America, some of the biggest banks on the planet are all working behind the scenes with these guys. And this is some great video from earlier this morning. There's a conference going on right now. There's a federal hearing on the future of cryptocurrency in the United States. And this is an important clip in regards to securities versus commodities in the market. Chairman Johnson, thank you for the question. You know, the Howey test really looks at the issue or sale of a security. So, so you're thinking about it at the moment that the, the, the product is put out for investors. You know, I, I would distinguish that, as some of my, my panelists described, I would distinguish that from trading down the road after it's been put out, where you don't necessarily have the expectation of profits based on the efforts of others, and it becomes more 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 fungible, or, or I might even say more commoditized. And then the trading in that market, in the secondary market, it looks a lot more like a commodity as defined by Congress. Love that. Chairman Johnson. Tony, I want to get some open thoughts there. I'm going to connect this to an article that I showed you previously before the show. There are several different types of tokens that exist in this market. It took 12 years to develop the XRPL. It took 26 seconds to launch a crap ERC token. And we're going to show our listeners that. But how do you feel about this clip here and this important Matthew Clunkin deciding what's a security and what's a commodity based on how decentralized the environment really is? Well, I think that's really the key. When you look at the, oh, sorry, Tony, you take it. Oh, I, okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I, this is the dialogue that we need. We need to be having these dialogues that, that which will lead to legislation. And this is from the hearing that's happening. I think still happening right now. So uh, really glad to see you have the house uh, financial committee. I think the agriculture folks coming together. So more dialogue, getting more members of Congress on board. 
And we need to distinguish, you know, what's a security, what's a commodity and have a path to, you know, if you are a security, how can you become a commodity? Um, and then the secondary sales, as he alluded to, is a key because uh, if something is traded in, I don't know, uh, India or something, right? 10 years later after being released, how are those securities, right? It's kind of like what, what the SEC is trying to say, eight years after Ripple um, and, and the XRP ledger launched, how how can you say that everything, every XRP is a security, even the secondary markets, it's, it's just asinine. And that's why they're going to have trouble winning that case, Tony. And remember, here's something nobody realizes. Something can start out as a potential security, but it can mature and evolve to a non-security. And that's exactly where we are today with XRP, right? We all know today it is completely, it's a currency. It's being used. You got so many amicus movies saying we use this as cat or as a, another form of payment. It's a no brainer. And so to sit there and, and, and say that, oh, we're going to go after both past sales and future sales, totally losing case. And to me, it makes you, it, you know, as Jessica says, the question's more important than the answer. And so the question here is, why would they go after something that they know is almost unwinnable? Why? Other than to delay. I don't know. That's the only thing I could think of, Tony. It's one of the things that we brought up just last week, Tony. Ten days before Ripple was sued by the SEC, JP Morgan announced that they completed their first in-house transaction with their JPM coin. And we know about the relationship they have with the SEC. There's a woman in our community named Ashley Prosper, something along those lines. And she actually filed to get those documents revealed, explaining exactly what the SEC and JP Morgan said to each other about XRP and the regulation going forward. But we often talk about XRP. Here's a little XLM news because XLM has been in Washington all throughout 2023. And now we're going to see central bank digital currencies launched on their public blockchain. Folks, uh, I think I, I can think of at least three different, like the Ukraine did it at one point. There's other companies that have taken Stellar and created a private instance of it. And they've used it. And Ukraine actually looked at the government there, looked at it at first. And they were like, but the value of the blockchain is that it's not that. Like yeah. you can use it for that. Right. So they then have now gone to the to the public network wow. and thought about moving on to the public network for that reason. So I do think that there's just obviously I think that there's value for all of this technology, but I think the public notion of this. And one of the questions I get right from any company that we talk to, they say, "Well, who's in charge of yeah, that?" Exactly. Because that's your instinct, <laughs> yeah. right? When you have, like, especially if you, I ran an IT department too when I was at Mozilla, folks. Uh, so I think it's pretty telling there. And one of the one of the best things about XLM is they're not being pressured by the SEC right now. I got to say that as an XRP investor, they don't have that lawsuit on their back and they've been continuing to have conversations in the US. So I don't know, free pass for XLM. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because they also went to work with MoneyGram, uh, which was formerly working with Ripple. So, you know, I, some people have called uh, Jed McHale of the Teflon Don, like nothing, nothing sticks to him. This man has gone through Mt. Gox and tons of stuff. And he is nowhere to be seen or found. He's not in the mix of anything yet. His companies uh, continue to work. I, I know he's not, you know, part of X, uh, Stellar, you know, from a day-to-day -day basis anymore. But uh, it's interesting, and it looks like Stellar is trying to follow Ripple's playbook, and now they're pushing for a CBDCs on the Stellar blockchain. So, uh, look, comp competition is good, but you know, we 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 know there's something afoul where uh, certain coins, certain blockchains are seem to be getting a free pass. They're not under the scrutiny that certain ones are like Ripple and, and the XRP Ledger and Ethereum, of course. So uh, it's I, I would love to get the details about what you mentioned with um, Ashley filing for the FOIA request 
to see what JP Morgan has been discussing, you know, with the SEC regarding XRP and, and other coins, because we know they partner with the Ethereum Alliance. They built Quorum, JPM coin. So they know about the technology, even though Jamie Dimon has been going around saying Bitcoin is trash, crypto is trash, but they've been building, they've been investing in it. So boy, I, would I love to get the details of those conversations. And Citibank actually predicted over $8 trillion in central bank digital currencies will be circulating in the market in only eight years. Ripple's putting a much lower price target there. But Tony, we know that this technology is going to be pushed by the mainstream media and by the governments over the next decade. And Ripple is putting themselves in a position to capitalize on that growth. Guys, we got 321 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. and Check out these latest statistics when it comes to central bank digital currencies built on the XRPL. Ripple is targeting a $213 billion market cap for CBDCs annually by the year 2030. In 2023, we're already at a $100 million market cap, and the radical growth potential is up to 260,000% as we're in the very early stages of CBDCs. The driving growth of CBDCs will come from governments and the worldwide push into CBDC projects. The reason governments are going to be incentivized to promote this tech is because it benefits them. Not only can they control transactions, even if you're doing exactly what they like, now they have access to see what you're doing and they can give us social credit scores. They can enforce certain policy through the buying and selling. That's pretty interesting. So before I hear from Johnny and Mario, Tony, what does this mean to you? Ripple's anticipating this adoption. Do you think Stellar is in a position of profit as well? Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, there's going to be a multi-chain world where CBDCs are running on different blockchains. You know, different countries are going to test on different blockchains, uh, but they will have interoperability. I think we're headed to a future where these different chains can communicate with each other. Um, but um, certainly whoever gets the lion's share, you know, which I'm sure Ripple is trying to do here, will will have a, a lot of benefits, um, you know, to grow their network and valuation and so forth. You know, I recently interviewed Chris Giancarlo of the Digital Dollar Project, and we had a long conversation about this and the concerns about CBDC and privacy. But, you know, he brought up a great point, stable coins, are also uh, you know, tracking what you're doing. And if you're using USDC or USDT, and there's nothing stopping the government to go for, to those firms and say, hey, you want your license? You want to operate? Give us the data. So he's pushing for uh, certain privacy principles to be applied to the digital dollar here in the United States. They're, they're, they're consulting the Fed. In addition, he would love you know, the stablecoin bills and regulations to come out to also say the government cannot go pull that data unless they have a warrant. Um, and, and, you know, our information is not shared that way too. So I think people are missing the stable coin part, but CBDCs, of course, are ultimately controlled by the governments. I am worried about that. I'm hoping the United States can align it with the U S constitution, but I can't speak for the rest of the world, but yeah, at least the good, the silver lining here is we have options. I can send you some XRP. I can send you some Bitcoin. I don't necessarily have to use your CBDC. Spot on, Tony. And Johnny, I want to get some thoughts from you as well. Michael Saylor seems to agree with what Tony said because he said a push to launch an American CBDC will drive fervish interest in Bitcoin, and it could actually lead to some price accumulation, right? One of the things that we know about central bank digital currencies is they're not going to let you spend it wherever you'd like. But if you are able to purchase assets like Bitcoin, I'm sure many informed investors will flow into assets like so. So, Johnny, what do you think about that narrative? Well, I think that's a long-term later narrative. They're not going to come out on day one and say, oh, here's the CBDC. We want you to use it. Oh, by the way, you can't use it here. You can't use it there. It expires that. No, no, that's not. Now, who's going to do that? No, so what I think is going to happen is at first, they'll launch a CBDC. It'll come out as you know, the best thing since sliced bread. Everybody's going to love it. Hey, here's some free stuff as well. Ba ba ba. Take it over time. 
over time when people realize if it becomes restrictive or people feel like it's taking away their privacy, but more importantly, restrictive to either, either again, it's just my guess since you asked, if they're going to make it to the point where I can't spend, where the user can't spend it where they want, or it expires for a certain amount of time, then yeah, most likely people are going to be like, hey man, we need an alternative. And if gold and silver don't become the new means of, of, of physical exchange in transactions, then yes, I totally agree with Michael Saylor. I think Bitcoin will be the area that everybody will flock to. Might not be the best solution for transactional payments, but I believe a good chunk of people will flock to it for people who want to store value, who want to save money. I think that's where they'll go. In terms of spending money, they'll probably find some other blockchain or something to transition that 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 CBDC into and then go spend it. That's my guess. If I had to guess what's going to happen, you know, 5, 10, 15 years from now. Thank you. And Tony, I know you only got a couple of minutes left, so I'm going to save that Michael Saylor video for later in the episode. What I do want to share with you guys is this is a quick video. I'm not going to play the audio, but Tony, I want to get your commentary here. Somebody created a speed challenge. Create a meme coin as quickly as possible. This video pretty much speaks for itself. So Tony, while you commentate, why don't you break down some of the differences between what we're witnessing here and what's been created on the XRPL for somebody who doesn't understand there's tokens, commodities, digital assets, there's shit coins, there's meme coins, and there's real projects. I'd love for you to break it down while this video plays. What are we watching? Yeah, I mean, right now, anyone, and this is the great thing about the blockchain and the internet, right? Yeah, internet's the ultimate level playing field. Any one of us can go create a token. The question is, what principles does that token have? What is its utility and use case? Meme coins are, are you know, a great aspect of crowdsourcing, people coming together and being able to move markets. But they're very risky and very dangerous, in my opinion, because you could lose your money. You don't know who's behind those tokens and what their, their scheme or their plan is, right? Now, if you look at a, a company like Ripple and you look at XRP Ledger, you look at Ethereum, you could have their white paper, you see who they're partnering, who's building with them. They have credibility. Uh, be careful with these meme coins because anyone, as this video has shown, can create a meme coin with a click of a button and you, you can even ask chat G, GTP to do it for you. Um, and anyone can launch these tokens, put it on the market, and then pump it with a lot of social media activity. So be very careful. I'm not saying don't invest in meme coin. I'm not telling you what to do. But just understand the risk. You are walking into a casino, taking your money, and put it on black. Even That's worse, it. Tony. Even worse than a casino. Because let me just give a quick detail before you uh, kick it to you for lack closing statements. With the Pepe coin in particular, there was a man who invested $27. His $27 reached $9 million in total value. You know what the founders of that token did? Blacklisted his wallet. And there's the, now this man who supposedly made $9 million off a $27 investment can't cash out a single penny. And that's mm -hmm. another flaw that we have in these narratives. So I just wanted to throw that in there as well. Yeah, great point, right? Uh, th does this blockchain, what this, which is this token is on, is it decentralized? Can is a centralized where people can just steal your tokens, a rug pull you, right? Uh, that, that's this is this is a thing people need to understand and be educated about because they see the money, they see the hype, and like, oh, you know, let me go throw some money on there. And look, maybe you put a hundred bucks, and that doesn't matter to you. But there's people who put a lot of money, think they're going to be millionaires overnight, and they get burned. So you know, be very careful. And Tony, this is the problem. This right here, being able to do this in 27 seconds, create something that has no real stability no background is the reason this is what the sec should be going after exactly. these are the bad actors that are giving 
you know, taking a wonderful technology in crypto where there could have really good use cases. And because of this aspect of it, that could also be built off of it, a token off of blockchain is where the problem occurs. And why aren't we policing this? Why isn't this problem being addressed that then would not, you know, give crypto a black eye? Does that make sense? Absolutely. This is, is one of the big problems, but we know Gary Genser, he doesn't care so much about this. He, he's after the uh, people who are actually doing something and disrupting tech. And he's leaving all, that's why he let FTX happen, Celsius, 3AC, Terra Luna. But he went after Kim Kardashian, right? Uh, yeah. and, and so, so you see you clear, clearly what the agenda is here. Yeah. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Tony. I want to give you a chance to say goodbye. We're going to close this episode out, but we got a couple more articles to get to. So Tony, thank you so much. Remind people where they can find more of your content. And again, thank you for making time for us this morning. Thank you guys for having, having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And you can find me on Twitter, on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so forth. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Till next time, Tony. Have an amazing day, my friend. And guys, we got 320 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And you want to get a little laugh this morning, Johnny Crypto? We've got an update for you that, that might crack a smile. As Sam Bankman-Fried is blaming the crypto bear market for the failure of FTX, and he's actually asking for a dismissal of all federal charges in regards to the case. So I'm not going to give too much time to the details here because this speaks for itself. Mario, I'd love to start with you before we kick it to Johnny. Sam Bankman-Fried, first of all, is he innocent? And second of all, how do you feel about him pleading not guilty? Well, question, has the SEC, has, has the SEC made an offic any official statement about Sam Bankman-Fried? Have, have they sued him for what he did? Yeah, they said he's a great uh, – they called him J.P. Morgan, I believe, something along those lines. Exactly. So, I mean, is he innocent? <laughs> I don't think he is. You know, he's he's playing innocent. Definitely he's trying to play innocent. I mean, trying to say that crypto winter, you know, I could say that, hey, man, look, uh, I was expecting a bull run, and now that's the reason why I'm in debt. Well, it was my decisions that made me be in debt, right? So <laughs> it's such a hypocritical statement to make. And the fact that so many people got – heavily damaged by the fact that FTX failed. Uh, you know, it's it's terrible. And I FTX was a company that nobody thought was going to fail. I mean, they were they were advertising at places that you'd be like, wow, these guys are in all the right places. And then we find out the way that they're running things and the scheme that they're running things. It, it's just disgusting. I can't believe he's still making statements like this. And I can't believe no like regulatory body has, has come after him you know, for what he did, because it's, it's unacceptable. Ripple, to my knowledge, has not really done anything to deliberately damage investors, but yet they're being held accountable for securities. Yet this guy who is literally played with other people's money, uh, he's not, he's not being taken uh, into, uh, into the spot. It's ridiculous. Thank you. And Johnny, I know you got a response here, but I was obviously being sarcastic. Not only is Sam Bankman-Fried hundred percent accountable here, the fact that he's blaming a crypto bear market for stolen income, they aren't connected in any way, shape, or form, guys. So with that being said, Johnny, give me a quick response. I'm actually going to play a video that I think is so important to play twice throughout this episode. We have many people who weren't here during the beginning. So I'm going to play this little XRP video here, and then we'll go back to Roto. If the Ripple case gets to the Supreme Court of the United States, I believe it is highly likely that Ripple wins and the SEC loses. It's okay. dicey to predict what one particular federal judge will or will not do with right. massive contrasting motions for summary judgment. But as Ripple, you know, and, and I'm, I hate to say it, this is going to take more time as Ripple goes to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals and then to the United States Supreme Court, I, I like their chances a lot. 
what would you say is the number one thing they bring in terms of- I think that's a great place to actually pause it, Johnny. We talked about the Supreme Court narrative earlier. I believe it was a couple of months ago when it was really circulating around Twitter. And we know it's positive. It's actually a positive outcome for Ripple. So I did want to get some thoughts there. What do you think about him anticipating if we get beyond Judge Torres, it's a good sign for the crypto project itself? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the thing you have to remember and what we've heard from Jeremy Hogan was if we get beyond Judge Torres and we get to the appeal piece of it, um, then you we know that it becomes binding in the ruling and that, and that then takes a lot of power away from um, the sec. So abs, I don't know if I agree with, I don't, I'm surprised that that guy thinks this will even go to the next level. Jeremy Hogan's already said he doesn't believe it will go there because there's too much at risk. If it does go there, I would actually take the counter opinion to him. I think we're in trouble because of the fact that the SEC has too much to lose, the only way they're going to go there is if they know they're going to win. And we know connections matter. We know that it's not what you know, it's who you know. And the SEC has some very powerful friends. So I don't want to see this go to an appellate level because I don't think that's going to be good for Ripple. Hopefully we win it at this level or get a settlement one or the other. I'd rather just win it at the at Judge Torres's level and then this thing gets put behind us. So... I'm not as um, I'm not as encouraged as he is to think if it goes higher, they're going to win. But if they do, oh, baby, we are. Crypto will be in a really, really good space if they do win. And you know what? They might if this if they drag this thing out two more years and then they're ready to, to flip the switch and say, hey, you know what? We want we want crypto now. We're ready. We've got all our claws in it and we want this thing to take off then yes, it can happen. And I think that'd be a very good thing. So I think it all depends on the timing of when this happens, Abs, to be honest with you. You're spot on. And let's have a fun conversation to end this episode. CNN tweeted out this morning, one of the most credible news sources to ever exist. Right-wing extremist Tucker Carlson will relaunch his program on Twitter, a platform he praised as the only remaining large free speech platform in the world after Fox News had fired him just last month. And the reason I'm bringing this up because anybody who hasn't seen Tucker Carlson's videos on Twitter, they are going global. I mean, that's, that could be an understatement. Look at the numbers on this. Fox does an average of 3 million total views per week. Tucker Carlson's independent videos, two-minute clips he's putting out, they're doing 21 million views and nearly 100 million impressions. But we've got people calling him a right-wing extremist. So I'm actually very excited about this narrative, Mario, because not only is Elon Musk, he's giving a platform to all, whether you're right whether you're left, he's not going to shut anybody down. But there is one side of the political aisle that seems to be very upset here. What do you think about Tucker Carlson turning to Twitter and as he removes himself from the mainstream media? Well, you know, I'm starting to think that the $44 billion that Elon Musk paid for Twitter, it was actually a bargain considering what's what's happening with, with the platform. You know, it, it's super exciting. We're starting to see all this free speech happening within the platform. You know, CNN, which you clearly stated, uh, obviously being sarcastic that, you know, credible yeah, that was, that was sarcasm. Just to be clear, <laughs> CNN called him a right-wing extremist. That was sarcasm on my part, calling them credible. Yeah. It looks like you got a little bit of dark humor too in you. I'm happy to see that, but you know, credible source, you know, these, these new sources, the people that have been paying attention, you know, people that watch this channel, um, we like to say that we're, we're kind of aware. I've completely stopped watching the news a couple years ago. I don't pay attention to what they say, but we know that 
they say what what they what they want us to hear or what they want people to hear. Uh, and and we know that people are moved by fear. So the more fear driven news that they put out there, the, the more attention they're going to get in this case, because it, it all comes down to their advertisers who's paying for 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 uh, for them to be there. So it's I think it's super exciting that, you know, the conversation about Elon Musk, is he a really a good guy? Is he a bad guy? You know, what is his true intentions? Putting that aside, I think that what he's creating with Twitter and allowing free speech, I think that's pretty special. And it's it's something that we have been lacking and we've been seeing like decrease dramatically over the last few years. So I'm happy to see that. I'm happy to see these people coming into the platform. And yeah, hopefully it will be a positive thing. We'll start to get real news going forward. Johnny, before I get a closing response from you, I'm going to read a quick quote from Elon Musk here. Elon Musk commented, responding to this video that Tucker posted. He said, on this platform, unlike the one-way street of broadcasting, people are able to interact, critique, refute whatever he or anyone may say. And of course, anything misleading will get called out by the community notes. I also want to be clear that we have not signed any kind of deal whatsoever with Tucker. Tucker is subject to the same rules and rewards of all content creators and rewards meaning subscriptions in advertising as well as revenue share, which is a function of how many people subscribe to advertising views associated with the content. I hope that many others, particularly from the left, also choose to be content creators on Twitter's platform. I love it, Johnny. I got it. I'm going to give you three minutes here. What's it mean to you? Well, I mean, this is potentially a game changer because I know a lot of people have got hooked on left ring and white ring, ring and wing, and they're calling him out. Guys, stop. Stop with the bullshit. Because the reality is everybody is, you know, not everybody's one way or the other. Most people are somewhere in the middle or they have beliefs on both sides, you know, depending on the topic. And so I look at it as at the end of the day, if the 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 big you know six elites or if you will the these these corporations or these news agencies don't want him i should tell you something i'm not gonna come out here and i know a lot of people are gonna have opinions so i'm not gonna you know i see people in our chat calling them a right white right wing nut job and stuff like that and i'm not so sure he is i think just you know we've lost the sense of freedom we've really lost the sense of free speech and we've gotten so concerned of the words chosen that we're losing the message because of maybe a certain word within the message. So I would encourage everybody to stop hinging on the words and look at the message of what, 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 what is being said as a whole and realize at the end of the day that, you know, the freedoms, the number one freedom we have is freedom of speech. And I think it's so important that we don't lose that. And if you have a guy on the inside that's telling you, Hey, look, this is what they do. You know, in his two minute speech, he talked about how they they don't necessarily they don't tell you all the facts in the news. Right. And they they, they hold back some things, which which makes it hard to understand. So hopefully that will change in the future, at least. In- Johnny, I want to close out the episode with this video right here. This is George W. Bush after 9-11. And I just thought it was so interesting. Right. Obviously, I wasn't even into politics or anything. I just want to show the unity of America right here. I've just. This is 2001. It's October, just after 9-11. I was not aware of this time, but just check out the vibe overall of this whole thing. And then we're going to close out the episode.
Yeah, a laser right down the middle, guys. And I'm going to close this thing out super fast. So show us some love. Smash that like button. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. Like we always say.